Hey, so I'm so excited. I want to share with you about one of our new sponsors, Starglow Media. They have this amazing show for all of you with younger kids called Mysteries About True Histories. Every episode follows Max and Molly, who have just been recruited into a secret order of problem solvers and on adventures through time packed with puzzles and hidden equations, histories, and laughs. You all know Alana, our co-founder at Sproutable. She listened to the show with her seven-year-old and loved it. They would pause the show and try to figure out the math problems together, loved learning about different cultures and the histories around the world. The series explores themes like the stories behind math, critical thinking, code breaking, pattern solving, and so much more. Math is geared Math is what they call it. Math is geared towards kids six and over, but can be enjoyed by the entire family. Episodes drop every Thursday, and they're about 15 minutes, perfect length for the car rides, mealtime, break time, bedtime. Each episode is stacked with so much laughter, and your kiddos won't even realize how much they're learning. So tune into Mysteries About True Histories math with your kids. You can follow and listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your pods. Hey, listeners, welcome back to Becoming Sproutable, a limited podcast series that takes you through the biggest tools and concepts of parenting with positive discipline. I am Casey O'Rourke, Positive Discipline Lead Trainer, Parent Coach, Adolescent Lead at Sproutable.com, and host of the Joyful Courage Podcast, and, oh my gosh, all the things, mom of two teenagers, and I am joined by my co-host, Julieta Skoog, also a Positive Discipline Trainer, a Parent Coach, the Early Years Lead at Sproutable, one of the original founders as well, and mom to three, a little, a middle, and a tween. Hi, Jules. Hi, Casey. I'm so happy to be back. How are you? I'm good. Well, listeners, I get to look at Julieta because we're recording on Zoom. I'm glad to be looking at your face. I'm happy to be seeing your face too. Before we jump in, I always love hearing your stories. Do you have any good parenting stories this week? I actually have something that I thought would be relevant to share. So My 16-year-old plays basketball. He is a basketball kid, and he's a sophomore. He plays on the varsity team. It's very exciting. And he goes to a school that isn't necessarily a sports school. Like, they really value belonging and leadership and treating each other well, which I'm like, sweet. I mean, sports are really back burner, which is kind of a drag for a kid that's such a sports kid. So anyway, so he's on this team and they play one of the top ranked schools in the state on Friday night. They're close to where we live. And, you know, sweet kid, I'm like, are you going to drive home with us after the game? Are you going to take the bus? He's like, well, if we win, I'm going to take the bus. Jules, the score was like 75 to 20. Like it was so brutal. They got so destroyed. (laughs) And so we get in the car and my kid is just so pissed. And so just in all of this discomfort and discouragement and he's blaming the coach and he's blaming the school and he's blaming his teammates and he's just mad. And what I learned from this experience isn't even a story about him. It's a story about me. Oh my God, it is so hard for me to sit with that. And to hold space for that. Like, I could feel like I was starting to get angry at him. Like, hey, rein it in. 
you design your life. You get to decide how, you know, I had all my like coachy things, which I didn't say. I'm proud of myself. I just zipped it. Although my husband kept asking questions and I was like, dude, you are just making this worse with your questions. And finally I was like, how about we take a break from talking about basketball? And then he said something else. And I was like, you know, it kind of just feels like you want to get in a fight right now. And I don't really want to get in a fight about this right now. And so anyway, we came home and like life went on. And the next morning I drove him to practice in the morning. I didn't say anything. I was really proud of myself because I had a lot of really enlightening and inspiring things that I thought I could say. (laughs) I'm sure you did. Your monologue on your sofa. I was like, listen, um, and I kept it quiet and he, you know, like he made a couple statements on the way to school and I could just tell that he had like let all of that experience wash through him. He was way more open around like practice and this is what we're going to work on. I hope we work on this. He came home later and how was practice? Oh, it was really good. And he said, you know, I think there's only two other teams that we are going to play that are for sure probably going to beat us. Otherwise, I think we have a really good chance. And it just was like, oh, yes. And it was such good validation that we don't, I don't, I'll speak for myself. I don't have to talk about how he feels. I don't have to make everything a coaching session. And I have to do my own work to hold all of that back when like I was having a physical reaction to his discouragement. I mean, it was just like over the top killing me. So yeah. Anyway. Wow. Way to go. Way to go. Yeah, way thanks. To just, go me. Yeah, also, and have that experience of that awareness of what you want to do, what the impulse is. Yeah. And then just holding that space. I know often we've been in that situation too. You know, my girls are real soccer kids right now. And a couple of tournaments where they've gotten in the car and just seething, mm-hmm. you know, and you really have this moment of wanting them to just like hurry up and get it over yeah. with oh, 100%. and or the people pleaser in me or the middle child in me where hold my own emotions because I don't want to make other people feel uncomfortable. And so then that impulse for me to tell my kids to do that too, like don't ruin our vibe. And really just letting them have those feelings and just letting them sit with it and stew with it is really important as well. I mean, that's part of that sports experience, I think. Yeah. To have that highs and the low lows. Yeah. The one know? place where he got me, right? Because he was really ready to just let loose. He did say mm-hmm. something like, my stupid high school, all they care about is like respecting each other. And I was like, hey, listen. <laughs> <laughs> I did have a moment where I was like, nobody's going to disparage respecting each other, right? And that's when I also was like, and I can tell you kind of want to fight about this right now. So I'm going to retreat, like, let's just let this simmer. And But mm-hmm. I don't want to come across as, you know, perfectly zen. I definitely had my moment of like, Bleh! but even then it was like, okay, Case, you're really on the ledge of the train station getting ready to, like, I'd like to talk about the emotional freight train was uh, totally pulled in, doors were open. I was like, do I, don't I? <laughs> Well, and those mirror neurons yes. are firing. Oh my You're God. in a contained car. I mean, there's so many That's things brutal. happening. Yeah. This podcast is sponsored by Active Skin Repair, a skin health company helping people heal with natural, non toxic, medical grade ingredients. So, as the weather warms up, we're outside gardening or doing yard work. 
there are so many opportunities for skin issues, right? And for me, it's always a mystery to know what's going to irritate my skin, but I'm definitely out there itching and scratching. But the good news is active skin repair always seems to save the day. Active skin repair can be used to treat a wide range of skin issues, including cuts, scrapes, burns, sunburns, rashes, and other types of skin damage. It's also safe and non-toxic, making it suitable for use on all skin types, all parts of the body, and even on rosacea, eczema, and acne-prone skin. Here's what I want you to do. Visit ActiveSkinRepair.com to learn more about Active Skin Repair and get 20% off your order when you use code JOYFUL. Again, that's www.ActiveSkinRepair.com. Find out more about the product and get 20% off your order when you use the code JOYFUL. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Thank God, spring into summer is my favorite time of year. After turning 50 last September, I've been really working on my physical health and well being and can honestly say that I am feeling better in my body than I have felt in a very long time. Yes, credit goes to movement and working out, but even more credit goes to how I'm feeding my body. That's why I love Factor. I fuel up with Factor's no prep, no mess meals, 35 different meal choices, and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week. I always have a new flavor to explore. It's amazing. You can crush your wellness goals this May, keep time in the kitchen to a minimum, and enjoy effortless support for the lifestyle you want to be living with dietitian approved meals and ingredients you can trust from Factor. Head over to factormeals.com slash joyful50 and use the code joyful50 to get 50% off your first First box plus 20% off your next month. That's code joyful50 at factormeals.com slash joyful50. Again, that's 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Yes, yes, yes. Join me. Join me in the health revolution and feel really good this summer. What about you? What do you got? Yeah, we had a good weekend. One thing that made me think about just our conversation today that we're going to have around just communication and problem solving is the multitude of opportunities that my kids have with each other to practice problem solving and conflict. And there was a moment, this was just yesterday, and I heard it starting to erupt, this big conflict and screaming and between my four-year-old and my nine-year-old. And I also had this impulse, I call it the pause because I notice when I want to immediately jump into a fight that they're having, especially if I just hear it from the other room, I want to just go in hot, you know, and say like, break it up. What's going on? And just noticing that as soon as it arises, I have a check mark in my own mind that says, is anybody bleeding, you know, is this a 911? And if it's not, if they're not clawing and punching and kicking, and if it's just a verbal, like let it play out, give them that moment, give them the beat. And I'm so glad I did. And I usually go down and get closer in proximity without jumping in. And I heard my four-year-old, she's real physical, you know, as four and a half year olds are, And thinking about she's got to go head to head with a nine-year-old and a 12-year-old half the time, you know? And so when she maxes out on her skills, then she goes physical. So 
as soon as I hear my middle, my nine-year-olds being like, you know, I said, stop it. Then I hear the like smash and an, oh, that hurt me. Like that is not okay. But there was a pause. And then I hear my four-year-old being like, are you okay? And the <laughs> other one being like, that's not okay. And she, the, my born old was like, but are you okay? I'm checking in with you. Are you okay? And the other one's like, I am not okay. Like, and I still let them duke it out, you know? And finally my born old was like, well, what would make it better? And my nine-year-old just goes, well, I guess a hug. <laughs> And it was so cute because they still, as mad as they still were, you know, and the, again, the positive discipline coach in me wanted to jump in and say, you know, are your lids flipped? Like we can't solve problems if our lid is flipped. And, but I really did let it play out. And sure enough, they were, she was like, you know, I need a hug. And Leona was like, well, okay. And then she said, maybe never do that again. <laughs> So, so my check-in at the end was more of like, Hey, Leon, did you, I heard, I heard I asked for a hug. How did that go? Or, yeah. you know, I mean, I did like a little, you know, plus I'm also like, we gotta be out the door in nine minutes here. People like, let's keep moving. I also didn't have the time as we often, you know, do or yeah. do not to do the whole session and all that. But I loved that moment of, um, of just hearing Hearing them practice, you know. So how did the hug go? Was she willing? Yeah. Yeah. I love the hug thing. And I love so much of what you just shared, Jules, and like your, and I think that that speaks a lot to the parenting journey is that dance of, am I in, am I out? I'll get a little closer. I'm sure you too have had clients who are like, well, when? When do I step in? And there isn't a perfect answer to that. You know, it's just really about knowing your kids and knowing their skills and trusting them. Because I heard a lot of trust in your girl's ability to move through it in a way that didn't leave anyone, you know, too terribly hurt. Well, yeah. And I think it requires listening. And I have to do a lot of checks with myself. And it's quick. I'm not like sitting in meditation (laughs) doing this. But I mean, you know, noticing like, am I rescuing am I leaning toward one side or am I letting, and that kind of birth order tendencies from a parent side of, and again, as a middle child myself with two sisters also, you know, so having my own experience of being like, I was always left out, you know, or like not left out, but like, I always got the shaft as the middle child. And so thinking about that, am I just rescuing Vi because she's the middle child in this moment Am I letting the baby, quote unquote, just get away with it or just let her, you know, so I'm really conscious of that also of really, truly trying to keep them in the same boat, be objective about the situation, notice the skills, notice my own laziness, Mm -hmm. for lack of a better word, you know, and then leaning into the discipline, not discipline to teach, but really the Mm -hmm. effort, you know, of that parenting moment. So that dance as well. I love that. I'm the oldest of many when you blend all of my families, but the original two are my brother and I. We claim that title, by the way, the original kids. And I was a nightmare, big sister, super mean. And I think that it just because of what you said about how your experience as middle child kind of creates a filter for you to kind of consider things from. I remember when my kids were young, I may have been hypersensitive to how Rowan treated Ian because of the guilt 
even though everybody loves me, I'm super tight with my siblings, but uh, so much guilt for how mean I was just mean. I was so mean, like so mean that my one sister who's seven years younger than me doesn't remember. Like she's like, I was like, do you remember that one time I made you pack a suitcase and I told you somebody was going to come and take you to their house? And she goes, I don't remember. And I thought, oh God, <laughs> it's so traumatizing that you've blocked it out. Could have been that she was like three and just doesn't remember. But anyway, like disassociated. Well, I will say, I mean, first of all, I think it's fascinating, isn't it? That you get the gift of parenting and with kids that you get this same yep, dynamic 100%, with your yeah. two, right? Older sister and younger brother plays out me with my three girls and my two sisters yeah. too. And that older sister is, is mean. I mean, I mean, capital M, my older sister, um, just recently, because she now sees it play out with, and neither of my sisters have kids, by the way. But my older sister seen the dynamic of my three also, you know, the oldest that just t- knows everything. And she says, she came to me and she just said, I'm so sorry. Like, is there a statute of limitations for like how I treated you? You know, I'm seeing this play out and I keep wanting to tell your oldest, like, they're going to hate you. Like, don't, you know, be nicer to them because she saw how me and my younger sister really bonded to, you know, we, we were more Mm -hmm. friends, you know? And of course now all these years later, we're all super tight and, and connected, but it's rough. And I think that's why, you know, fortunately we are a different generation. I'm not re, you know, like playing out my sister stuff with my kids. And they're obviously really different kids raised in positive discipline, like, you know, tons of communication. I mean, they have a sister night in addition to our family meeting that they have their own sister meeting and all of this stuff too. So, um, it's different. They have different relationships and personalities are, they are what they are, you know? I mean, you can't force kids to be best friends. hundred percent. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And I see it in my younger too, like they're thick as thieves, even though they're five years apart, they have similar personalities and playfulness and they're like total, like they wanted to share a room and all these things. And then we joke that we co-parent with my oldest more, like it's the three of us grownups and the two kids. Well, it's so interesting too, the dynamic of three versus two, the dynamic of mixed genders, like Rowan and Ian are really close which I'm so grateful for. They have such a sweet relationship. And it's funny because they look like they're the same age. So when they go out in the world, it's often assumed that they're a couple. (laughs) Oh, that's weird. I never thought about that. Yeah, totally. They're both like, uh, ew. Oh my God, it's so funny. So I tease them. I never thought about that, I guess, because I never had a brother. That is so weird. Well, I mean, Ian looks like he's 18 too. So, I mean, he he is tall. tall, He's 6'3", and he's fully filled out. He's not like a skinny, yeah, he's facial hair. It's very weird. Anyway, okay, this is all actually heading us into the direction of our topic for today, which I'm really excited about, which is communication and problem solving. So now in your story specifically, you shared about even though the girls are yelling at each other, they were really using useful language in their conflict. So let's start with like, and I know that you too, I want you to talk about um, like, there's a great YouTube video of Jose and Vi using bugs and wishes, right? Don't they teach bugs and wishes? They do. It's, they were five and eight. We record, Lana came over actually to film our family meeting for our online course. And since she was there, they were having a problem. 
uh, that morning. And I said, Hey girls, do you mind if Alana just films your bug and a wish? Cause I know you were going to work out that problem. So it wasn't a setup. It wasn't like scripted at all. It was a total in the moment that they, yes, it's one of our most popular YouTube ones. So actually. talk a little bit about when you think about effective communication, especially, you know, in the positive discipline world, and I'll talk a little bit about how it shows up in the teen years, but when kids are younger and we're really building this foundation around communication, what are the aspects that you really want to be landing in that scaffolding? I'll tell you exactly. First of all, I start when they are nonverbal. I am talking about infants, infants, infants. I mean, so from day one, as you know, when my oldest was six months old is when we started family meetings. So good. So already having that culture of we solve problems respectfully. We solve problems when we're integrated, you know, in right. theory, right? And that you see me, we're on Zoom, so you can see me doing the brain in the palm of the hand model. So we, I start teaching that model at age two because I think that step of problem solving is so important and many grownups don't have that either. So just understanding where your brain is and where you need to be in order to solve this problem. And then a big- Wait, I want to pause um, you right there. You just, you were okay. talking about brain in the palm of the hand, yeah. teaching it as young as two. Yeah. Yes. I, I just wanted to make sure that didn't get lost because I think a lot of people- my sister actually sent me a great video of her little girl, Ayla. Did I send that? Did I ever send that to you? you yeah, did? really young. Yes. So I want everybody that's listening with young kids to remember that they're starting at infants. Like, I don't want that to get lost. Mm-hmm. Go on. Yes. Yes, because, you know, I mean, receptive language, so they're understanding, they understand so much before they're even talking. I mean, that whole, I love that window of time from age one to age two, where they really understand it's almost like a party trick, you know, cause you can talk to kids and they're like, they understand you and they'll follow directions or do these things. And, um, so I, so I just think it's never too young to start. Um, it's also never mm-hmm. too late, you know, also, but I think these, st- these aspects and I, I mean, I know this even just from all my years working in schools as a school counselor and school psychologist as well, and looking at that progression from kindergartners to fifth graders. Number one, understanding your own regulation, understanding when you do need to just calm down first, you know, and just regulate yourself, I think is just a missing part for so many humans. And so number one, teaching about the brain, creating that space, creating that practice for regulation every day. We practice Mm -hmm. every day. We practice our regulation every day. That's just part of our routine. And then once there, once there is this, you know, problem, whatever it is over a toy or an issue or a bigger thing, then really breaking that down. What is the problem? I think so many kids, it's like, you know, here's what I'm mad about. What are you mad about? And, and that skill in and of itself is so meaty. And so working on that. And then once, and that's where I think the bug and the wish is so helpful, the positive discipline tool, it looks different in other places too, but that tool is really effective in being able to articulate not just what the problem is, but also this is what I'm asking for. And that element of assertiveness is really powerful too. And so I start really young with kids to say, be assertive, ask for what you need and for what you want. So a lot of times when they're, they'll just be like, well, there's not enough milk. I say, are you just sharing this with me? Are you asking for help? Say, sit up use your four-year-old voice and be assertive. And she'll sit up and she'll say, can I please have some more almond milk? Yes, you may. 
Thank you for being a servant. Like these little moments practice around that communication. Mm -hmm. Just really like stop (laughs) breathing for a second. You're so passionate, Jules. The breath leaves you. (laughs) We'll talk about like, will you give just for the listeners who don't know what bug in a wish is, will you give an example of and how they can teach that to their kids? I will. And yeah, and like you said, we also have Super that awesome. YouTube that just shows it too. So show it to your kids. It is a precursor to an I statement. And so kids just say, it bugs me when you take my doll without asking. And I wish that you would ask first, or it bugs me that you continually interrupt me, Casey. And I wish that you would listen <laughs> with your strong ears. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. You never, you do not interrupt me. I'm the worst interrupter. But you know, it's those little things, you know, or it bugs me when you say you're not going to finish the rest of your cereal. That bug is the thing that's bothering you. And you assertively tell the other person. And then the wish is the ask. And it's not just enough to say, you know, stop hitting me or don't take my toys or, you know, that whiny part. The wish gives this experience of assertiveness, of control. And I think this idea of like a solution, you know, offering a solution, it's not just enough to complain. And we know this just in work environments. If you're not going to come up with a solution, then don't complain about it, you know, unless you've got some ideas to share. So I think that's really helpful. So that's the bug and the wish concept. And then the way that I have fleshed it out over the years, and I don't even know if this is how it originally started, but we add in a strong reflective listening component. So I hear you saying it bugs you when I interrupt you and you wish that I would listen more or you wish that I would, whatever that is. And even that, like the idea of the pronouns of you Mm -hmm. and I, that's hard Mm -hmm. for kids. It's hard for young kids. And the more they practice and you're really intentional about it and you are guiding them, I do real script reading, almost like a line reader in a Mm -hmm. play. I'm giving them the lines. I'm right there with them, giving them the lines to repeat after me. Even that part of those pronouns of you wish or it bugs you and you wish that I would, that part helps young kids with perspective, Mm. with awareness, with the other person, because it's not cognitively all there yet, really until kindergarten, you know, this perspective taking. So especially with the littles, that process really helps them, really grows their brain. Wow. And I'm listening to you, of course, thinking, noticing all the parallels with parents of tweens and teens too. And it's so interesting, right? Because I just did a whole night with my membership group and we talked about validation and what it means to validate somebody and why we do it and deep listening and reflective listening. Just like you said, like when I hear you talking about the challenge of being a child and using those like, you feel like this, I hear you do this. Parents too, adults too. I I feel like all of us Gen Xers... Sorry if you're not a Gen Xer and you're listening to this. Who are you? No, I'm just kidding. You're a Gen Xer, aren't you, Jules? Am I? Are you cusp of millennial? How old are you? I, no, I'm old. Well, you're not older I mean, than I'm me. Not, I was, well, <laughs> no, I'm not that old. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, you're like my big, I mean, I, I consider you. No, I'm Yeah, 45. you're Gen, you're Gen X. You're Gen X. But you're okay. close okay. to old millennial. So there you go. Anyway. I feel like we, you know, our generation of parents, we weren't necessarily all raised with really enlightened, good communicator parents. And so, 
you know, practicing this with your littles and then having the teen and the teen brain and the the pruning and the changes are happening in the teen brain. It's like we get communication 2.0 class needs to show up because, you know, emotions are so high. So we get to revisit self-regulation. I mean, I kind of feel like every problem is a self-regulation problem. Like at its core, it feels like so many problems can be solved just in our practice of self-regulation. Anyway, side note. I mean, absolutely all roads lead back to emotional regulation. And I'm curious with the teens and the tweens, obviously they're not going to be like, well, it bugs me when, and I wish, you know, (laughs) right. It's that precursor then teaches into those I statements and checking in yourself and having that reflective listening in that conversation. And I think, is this true? I don't know this. Went with tweens and teens, suddenly those problem solving and communication things are so adult child. They're not really children, but I mean, you know what I mean? Like driven through that experience versus oh, yeah. the peers because you don't know, you're not with them anymore. You don't know how they're solving problems with their peers or social, you know, I mean, now everything is on text and on phone and stuff. So you really only have those moments to be modeling and to be in conflict right. with them. Well, as and well, there's this right? layer of, willingness. If I'm a teenager and my, you know, one of the pieces of the teen brain is that there's this, Dan Siegel calls it the emotional spark. He's generous with the terminology, but it's really the way that teenagers feel their feelings. It's like a tidal wave that takes over. They don't know. Sometimes it's like, I don't know why I'm so mad right now, but I am. And so the ask of, hey, let's connect. Let's have this conversation. It's almost like, you know, get away from me. Screw you. I know a lot of parents that are listening who have teenagers are like, yeah, this is all well and good, but they're not willing. So then there's the building of the bridge, which is why I love talking about validating. And I think you touch on this too, like being willing to hear the other person and parents, as much as we want our teenagers to hear us, if we're not deeply listening, hearing, validating, acknowledging their experience as a valid separate reality, we have no chance of being heard or listened to. So when I think about communication in the teen years, it's really, it is really about how I am showing up for my teenager in like, I mean, yeah, the car the other day. So yeah. I'm Margaret. And I'm Amy. And together we host the podcast, What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. Margaret, I would say you're sort of a where are my keys kind of mom. Correct. Sometimes a where are my kids kind of mom. (laughs) Well, you're Amy more of a we were supposed to leave 35 seconds ago, mom. I mean, touche. In each episode of What Fresh Hell, we come at a topic from our usually completely opposite perspectives. I bring the research. And I bring kind of the gimlet eye. Like, is that research really going to work, people? And almost 10 million downloads later, we're still laughing. We also talk to experts in the parenting field, plus parents with stories we can all learn from. We make each other laugh, we challenge each other's assumptions, and we have what we think is the best parenting community on the internet. Check out What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood wherever you listen to podcasts. Lynn, this time of year, parenting can be such a fluster clucks. You've come to the right place. 
I'm Lynn Lyons, and I've been treating anxious families for over 30 years. I'm Lynn's sister-in-law and co-host Robin Hudson. Join us for Fluster Clucks, a podcast for parents who worry. Wait, that's everybody. Yeah, these last few years have felt like one long anxiety attack for so many. Why do you think parents are always surprised that a podcast about anxiety relates to them, even if no one in their house has an anxiety disorder? Well, worry is human. Everyone does it. And anxiety shows up when we face uncertainty. All the parenting tips you've taught me have been essential. I love to break it down into skills we need to manage worry in our families. We've covered so many topics, depression, burnout, meltdowns, perfectionism. Don't forget scary mothers-in-law. Right, but of course that's not my mother-in-law. Because that's my mother. And a listener. As a psychotherapist, I like to teach parents and kids how to respond to everyday moments in healthy ways. Managing anxiety really can be taught. It really can. And I'll even tell you what to say. We talk about serious stuff, but without being too serious. Anxiety wants everything serious. Anxiety doesn't stand a chance when we're laughing, even about the tough stuff. Well, and I think what parents forget is that, and kids do this too, I, I see it in them, is that when you say, I hear what you're saying, it doesn't mean that yeah, you have to 100%. agree with it. It doesn't mean that it's, it's the truth. It's that you say, this is your experience. I hear that for you. You know, it's, that's not it for me. And I actually don't, that's not how I see it or whatever your healthy limit is, you know, it doesn't mean like, just because you want it, you're going to have it. But just to acknowledge that is really important. And it's funny that you say this with teenagers, because with toddlers, that's a big thing with tantrums. If you don't explain to them, if you don't say, I know you wanted that bowl or you want this particular thing, the tantrum is only mm -hmm. going to get bigger because they really are like, you have not heard me. You do not understand me. And even if you don't get it right, just that act of attunement. Yes, I love that. So that you know, actually, right, tuning into your teen or your toddler is really important. That's the validation. That's the first step to letting them, okay, at least you know where I'm coming from, you know? Then we can move on to the next stage, which is taking responsibility and finding the Yeah, definitely. And I think it's, especially with teens, don't be too eager to make that leap, like really exhaust. I mean, it's like squeezing that tube of toothpaste that has a little bit left, like make sure you've got, like, tell me more about that. I'm hearing you say this. That sounds really frustrating. I can see why you'd be angry. You know, tell me more, tell me more, tell me more. And then I feel like you can see it in their bodies. Like you can feel that energy shift if you're tuned in of like, oh, okay. And then it's like, okay, so if nothing else changes, how are you going to move forward? Or, or even at, I think with teens asking, I would love to problem solve this with you. Is now a good time? Or should we just kind of sit with what's been said and come back to it? But we are going to come back to it. So I think our eagerness it sometimes bites us in the ass because we're ready to move. And my daughter is so good at calling me out on this. I am ready to move into win-win solutions. And she is like, uh-uh, get out. <laughs> Not ready. Well, and I think we, I call it the, the sitcom, you know, where we just wanted to have it, everything be yeah, tied up with a bow. I love a good sitcom, episode. man. <laughs> I do too. I just love it. And it's not the case. And I know even, or as teachers, we feel this way where it's, we want to get it solved by the end of the day so that the parents don't, you know, we can say, oh, we've solved this problem already, but yeah. we're human beings. I love that you so respectfully say like, is this a good time to talk about it? Or should we put a pin in this? And you can do that with littles too. And you would be amazed at how rarely people do that. And so when I say to my kids, 
hey, I'd love to work on this problem. Should we do it this afternoon or before bed? Just having that little bit of control of when we're going to talk about it is Mm -hmm. so helpful. Or where we say, let's put this on the family meeting agenda. Mm -hmm. This is a big deal. I mean, I um, am still talking about the whole balance beam, Leona drawing on it that I'm like still so mad about. And for me to say, my lid is so flipped, I can't have this conversation. And so I need some time and let's put it on the agenda. So we give ourselves those few I have a question about, about the balance it. beam. What's it made out yes. of? It is a balance beam. I mean, what do you, yeah, what, what is, is it made material? out of? It is, is it wood with well, vinyl on it? I mean, it? that's what they used to be 70s. I mean, I don't know. What would you call It's an actual, you know, like balance, yeah. like what I don't is know. that material? And what kind of utensil did she use to draw on it? It was a ballpoint okay. pen. The reason I ask is when Ian was close to Leona's age, he found a Sharpie and he went to the wood floor of my mother's house and took a Sharpie to all like in between the planks. And so I got to call my mom and say, everybody's okay. Because <laughs> I know I have to start with that. However, Ian has done this horrendous thing to your wood floor. And she said, find some um, alcohol wipes. And sure enough, wiped it right up. So in case you needed support, well, I don't know. Casey, think this is my first rodeo <laughs> and it is not, but sorry, I appreciate sorry. that sweet story. Um, and guess what? The reason why I say ballpoint pen is because you're right. Rubbing alcohol has been the key to many other scenarios. Except oh, damn it, pen. Leona. I know. Yes. Which is why I think there was an elevation in my response for sure. But you know what? I have to practice what I, you know, mm-hmm. teach, right? Which is opportunity to learn skill set. Is it a good idea for us to let her have her quiet time down in the playroom unsupervised? Mm-hmm. Not anymore. Whose fault is that? That's what I take responsibility for, yeah. you know? And just recognizing the look on her little face, so intently looking at me and looking at my face. What does this mean? Do you still love me? Oh, oh my you know? God. And I, just having to say, I will always, I love you no matter what. I love you when you draw on the balance beam and I love you when you don't. You know, having to say Mm -hmm. that right away, you know, because that is what they go to. So, but going back to the communication and problem solving with teens, no, I'm like fascinated by this idea too, that they don't want to talk to you, Yeah, you know? And so what does family meetings look like in that regard for you all? What I say to my clients is the only thing that's different between me and my clients or listeners of the podcast is that I live and breathe parenting. I'm reading about it. I'm talking about it. I'm coaching around it. And so I have this like heightened awareness of it. And I also don't want to show up as a fraud. So it is in my best interest for a variety of reasons, including the work that I do to show up and to practice, right? So that being said, we have done family meetings since they were really little. And as they've moved into the tween and teen years, it's loose and it's a little sloppy. And when time goes by that we haven't done it, you can feel it. I can feel it in just the disjointed effort around household things, around people knowing the schedule when we're actively doing family meetings. That's just not the case. It just feels much tighter. The only problem solving we're really ever doing in a family meeting is who's doing what chore, basically. Like, let's come up with a new system, see if it's useful. So that's really the place where we we do problem solving as far the, as the family meeting goes. But I've had different times with Rowan where she'll refuse conversation, basically, is just like, nope, not talking about it, not doing it. 
Ian less so, but it's starting to show up a little bit more like he is actually not a unicorn teenage boy. He's pretty typical. So it's starting to show up a little bit more where he just kind of is like, nope, not really interested in this whole conversation, positive discipline stuff. I think back to a podcast that you and I did years ago about toddlers and you used the word relentless and that really stuck with me. And now I feel like I'm relentless around connection. I mean, I'm also, you know, conscious and aware of what like what the feedback is I'm getting and what my kids need and where the small opening might be. But I'm not going to just sit back and say, okay, we aren't going to be in relationship anymore. I mean, even when Rowan was really in the dark, I mean, really in the darkness. And the one thing, the lifeline that I had is I still felt, I mean, it was thin, but I still felt that thread of connection to her, even as she was really rejecting everyone and everything. So, I mean, that was a long answer to your question around this, but communication really for me, what Rowan has taught me over and over and over again is to leave my assumptions at the door. I do not know what her experience is. I do not know what she's thinking, feeling, deciding. I get to really be in genuine curiosity with her. And that's probably the most powerful tool that I have around communication with both of my kids is just like really harnessing curiosity in a way where I'm not also holding the answer that I want them to have, think they're gonna have. Like I really have to just let that go and just really be side by side with them looking at whatever's happening energetically and not assume that I know what they need should do. Thank you. Yeah, that's beautiful, Casey. I think that idea of not holding assumptions and allows us to drop into curiosity genuinely, like you said, you know, really genuinely. And I think about the other positive discipline tools that invite communication, that invite problem solving on the younger side. I'm curious what it looks like Mm -hmm. for the teens and tweens, but special time. And like you said, to me, the relentlessness also as a parent, you know, certainly with three and young and to be really routinized, you know, to have it on the schedule, to have our family meetings every Sunday on the schedule, to have our special time protected no matter what, to have those times that are, I'm going to get down on the floor with you. We're going to talk or we're going to walk. We're going to, you know, all those things are really carved out. Or like we said in the beginning, the practice that we have around emotional regulation every Mm -hmm. day, because I know how important that is. We do a mindfulness card. We do one of our breathing activities together. Love it. Love it. Do that. I mean, we could so, talk for another hour about mm, this, but I know we could. And then also one other thing that I just would share too is at meal times, which is gets crazy with sports and activity. Oh god, it's things. So I've had to give myself so much permission, but go on. Well, just around that communication at dinner, you know, what are you talking about? I read this thing recently around Have you seen this book 8080 Marriage? No, I've heard you talk about it, but I haven't seen it. I have no affiliation. They're just the loveliest people. I'm just big fans of them. They talk about how this weather conversation that you have with your partner, where it's really surface. Mm -hmm. Oh, what's the weather? When you can go deeper on an emotional connection to say, and how do you feel about Mm -hmm. that? And that must have been so stressful for you. Where we can be almost like roommates, you know, in a home and just talking so surface. And so when we're thinking about communication, you know, what kind of communication are we having? Is it just logistics and who's doing the chores and who's picking you up and what's the carpool? And finding those moments of deeper connection and communication requires us Mm -hmm. to be present and mindful and aware and 
you know, notice those moments of opportunity to really have a deeper connection, even if we're just walking through, you know, the, from one room to the next, or if we're in a car for 20 minutes or around the dinner table as a family, what are we talking about and how deep that we can go? Yeah. Yeah. Love that. So what does becoming sproutable mean to you today in the context of communicating, Julieta? What does it mean to me in the context of communicating? What do you think about this ending question? Do you like this ending question, everyone? I mean, I think it's a good ending question. Asking about becoming sproutable in the context of whatever our topic is. I love it. It's good, right? Okay, good. I do. I need a little validation. Yeah. I mean, to me, becoming sproutable means I draw from the Brene Brown, you know, getting in the ring, getting in the arena. To me, it's like pulling up your sleeves. I wrote a blog. That's probably one of my favorite ones. I have a lot of favorite blogs, but I'm really proud of this one. And it's called siblings, get them in the ring. I use that phrase because I, one of my very, very best friends still to this day, uh, we did not start out as best friends. So we had a a third party that was like, get them in the ring between (laughs) she and I, as we were duking it out for this particular spot in this dance that we were both auditioning for. Anyways, get them in the ring. And I think becoming sproutable to me is like being okay with discomfort. Going back to what Mm -hmm. you said about Ian in the very beginning of being okay with big feelings, with conflict, you know, understanding that again, no matter how we were raised, maybe with benign neglect or conflict's not okay. Everybody just needs to get along, you know, shifting that narrative for ourselves that not all conflict is bad. It means Mm -hmm. becoming like vulnerable enough and brave enough to get in the ring, get in the arena and be in conflict so that you can solve problems and communicate and evolve together in relationship, whether it's you and your toddler or you and your parenting partner or you and your teen. Yeah, I love that. What I would love you think it means for you? Well, what it means when I think about the context of communication and problem solving, and this is something that those of you that have worked with me or part of the membership, you hear me say this all the time. And I said it just a few minutes ago that being brave, I love you mentioned Brené Brown because if you don't love Brené Brown, then I, God bless you. I don't know what's wrong with you, but being brave enough, I feel like it's an act of courage to drop those assumptions. I feel like it's an act of courage to step into your teenager's room and to really practice that authentic, genuine curiosity and to let go of outcome as well. And to really be in the surrender of the unfolding of the conversation of whatever is currently alive for your teenager we got to be brave, man, because there's uh, so much sweetness and tenderness and love in the adolescent years. And then it's, there's like some really deep, dark troughs that, you know, we get to travel into side by side and just trust that what's on the other side is meant to be on the other side. And the strength and the growth that happens as we stand next to them as we co-pilot, as Jane Nelson says, you know, trusting their ability and their resilience. Yeah, that's what comes up to me when I think about becoming sproutable. That's beautiful, Casey. Yeah, thanks. Listeners, oh my gosh, thank you so much for being here yet again. The becoming sproutable. Oh, by the way, Julieta, I'm having a great time having conversations with you by the way. It's That's so fun. You. I lose time. I feel like I know, I'm into I, a, I, a zone where I'm like, <laughs> wait, where am I again? I suddenly have to come back to earth. 
Yes, the Becoming Sproutable Limited podcast. We're gonna come to you every Thursday for the next three weeks. So we hope you'll join us. We've already recorded. There's episodes that are out. So start from the beginning. We're so thrilled to have merged our two companies. That's what this podcast really is, is a celebration of joyful courage and Sproutable coming together to become a company that serves everyone on the parenting journey. And we're so excited for you to check out our brand new website and offers. Go to besproutable.com to find out about coaching, on-demand programs for parents with kids in the early years, programs and offers for nannies and preschool teachers, as well as tons of goods for you parents of teenagers, coaching, membership, classes. And at the bottom of every page on the website is a place to sign up for our newsletter. And you're going to want to do that so that you can stay up to date with all the events and offerings, as well as get tips and thoughts and ideas from Julieta and I. Yay. All right, Jules, I'll see you next week. Bye. Well, hey there, busy mama. Are you looking for ways to make your life easier, your home less chaotic, and at the same time, add more joy to your life? My name is Deanna Yates, and I'm the host of Wanna Be Clutter Free, a podcast all about letting go of the stuff we don't need in our lives so that we can focus on what truly matters. Don't worry, I'm not gonna tell you to throw it all away or make you feel guilty about keeping something you love, no matter how many other people don't quite understand it but I will give you practical and more importantly, actionable advice so that you can make progress right away. And you won't just hear it from me. There are amazing guests too. It's like having your bestie in your pocket, telling you it's okay to let go of the things that are not serving you and your family in a totally non-judgmental way. So join me over on the podcast where we can work on progress over perfection for those of us that want to be clutter-free.